Hi there, I'm Sue Alvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 138. And today I want to talk about why unschooling isn't just another method of homeschooling. Also, I'd like to return to the topic of unlimited screen time. I was talking about this in episode 136, and since then, we've had quite a few discussions about this topic on Instagram. I also have another story to tell you. It's quite a sad story, but I think it has a big lesson for us. I will tell you about that after we have talked about the main topic of the day, which is why unschooling isn't just another method of homeschooling. A lot of people think of unschooling as one of the equal choices when we decide that we're going to homeschool our children. We could either do Charlotte Mason or unit studies or take a classical approach or we could unschool. Yes, some people think of it as an educational choice. I am always urging people to consider unschooling. Now, why would I do that? Why is unschooling a better choice than homeschooling? What is it about unschooling that makes it different? Why should unschooling work when other methods of homeschooling don't? Yes, you might have tried many different homeschooling approaches, and I come along and I say, why don't you unschool? Why should you listen to me? Why should unschooling work? Well, that's the topic that I'm going to be talking about, and I'm going to share one of my blog stories as I have been doing recently. And this blog story was written in January 2016. January, the beginning of a new year. And I know it's not the beginning of a new school year for many people, but it is for us here in Australia. Our school years run from the beginning of February to December. January is actually the school holidays. Maybe kids go back to school in the last couple of days of January. But generally, January is a holiday month. And maybe after Christmas, a lot of homeschoolers are thinking about the new school year. What are we going to do this year? What would we like to change? What didn't work? What are we hoping for? And so thinking about that, I sat down and wrote a post about unschooling for anybody who was dissatisfied with their present method of homeschooling or for people who had thought of unschooling but weren't really sure about it. Perhaps the new year was a good time to try something new. Well, that's my thoughts as I sat down to write this. So the beginning of this blog post reflects my intention, the thoughts behind writing this post. So I think that I'll read the post and as usual, I'll have things to discuss afterwards. Why unschooling isn't just another method of homeschooling. In my last post, An Unschooling Experiment, I urged anyone who's unhappy with their present method of homeschooling to give unschooling a go. I quote, So as we get into the new year, I'd like to say, try unschooling, be courageous, try and trust, especially if your way of doing things isn't working for you. 
What have you to lose? Yes, you might not have anything to lose, but will you gain anything? Why should unschooling work when Charlotte Mason or unit studies or some other method isn't working for you? Why would I urge you to try it? Could unschooling work because it isn't actually a method of homeschooling? Could it be something very different? I know a bit about homeschooling methods because I've researched and tried many of them, some of them more than once. Years ago, I got very excited about Charlotte Mason's ideas. Could her method be the perfect way for us to homeschool? The best way to teach my children the things I thought they should know? Would it be easy and enjoyable to put into action? Or would classical homeschooling suit us better? Or perhaps unit studies? Or... While I was searching for the perfect homeschooling method, I pondered lots of questions such as, What are the basics of a good education? Are old ideas better than new ones? Are the classics important? Are some school subjects more important than others? Do kids pass through different learning stages? What books should our kids read? Should they have the ability to listen? Is memorization important? Is narration a valuable skill? Are short lessons more effective than long ones? Is copy work a good learning tool? Perhaps making notes helps kids to pick out the main points of a particular subject. If they make impressive-looking books, does this help them value their knowledge? Should learning be fun? Should it be challenging? I was always full of enthusiasm as I put a new method of homeschooling into action. I found the right resources, put the system into place, and then hoped that my kids would soon be producing impressive work, indicating that they were indeed receiving a wonderful education. And my children did produce some impressive work. They put together interesting lap books and beautiful nature journals. They enjoyed hundreds of living books, including many classics. They got excited by music and art. They were introduced to Shakespeare and poetry. But despite these successes, no method lasted very long. We found it hard to keep following the necessary steps. Do we really have to do this? Learning soon became a chore. And then I knew it was time for a change. Perhaps we should try another homeschooling method. Once again, I started reading and researching and thinking. But eventually I stopped experimenting with different homeschooling methods. I gave up trying to follow someone else's ideas. One by one, I threw out the things that weren't working for us. Narration, memorization, spelling lists, reading the right books in the right way. Instead, I started listening to my children. Gradually, our homeschooling developed into what I called doing our own thing. We read lots of books and follow our interests, I'd say in a vague kind of way, whenever anyone asked what method of homeschooling we were using. Of course, by that time, we weren't actually using a method. We'd found our way to unschooling. These days, we're living a rich and interesting life. As a consequence of that, my children are learning. They're learning what's important to them what they feel they need to know. 
their education isn't restricted to what someone else thinks is valuable. They don't need an artificial system imposed on them in order for learning to take place. My children are learning in a natural way. The other week, my 15-year-old daughter Sophie said, My friend Emma has to finish her schoolwork for the day before she can do all those things she's really interested in. I'm glad we don't have to do that. I'd never have time to do the things that are really important to me. Sophie's words remind me of something I read the other day in an article called Unschooling 101 by Bridget Bentz Sider. Unschooling advocate Sandra Dodd describes a typical unschool day as the best ever Saturday, the day people dream about when they are stuck in school. Deciding not to use the homeschooling method might sound difficult. If you choose to unschool, you won't have a set of steps put together by someone else to follow. Things won't be neat and tidy. You might have to give up your ideas about what a good education looks like and how children learn. All this could be a bit scary. But if you unschool, you might end up with a week full of the best ever Saturdays. Doesn't that sound good? So if unschooling isn't a method of homeschooling, what is it? I think that it is a way of life. A way of life followed by everybody in the family. Everyone in the family learns and lives by its principles. A method of homeschooling only lasts from the time a child turns about five or six until the time that they graduate when they may be 18, before they go off and do something else. But unschooling goes on and on and on. We never come to the end of unschooling. It's something that we do for the whole of our lives. Because unschooling is really just learning while we live our lives. We're always learning. We start learning the moment we're born and we'll learn to the moment we die. So babies, toddlers, little children, they unschool. Adults who have finished their formal education can still be unschoolers. Yes, I have a whole family of unschoolers, but I only have two children under the age of 18. So maybe unschooling is more a mindset than a method. As I said, it's a natural way of learning. It's not an artificial system that we impose on our children in order to get them to learn. No, children are naturally curious. They are wired to learn. I think it's only when we try and intervene, when we try and make them learn things that we feel are important or the education department maybe sets out as being important and we make children learn in our way or in a schooly way that children actually lose their love of learning. But up until that time, children have no problem whatsoever learning. They don't need an artificial system. I think many people are attracted to the various homeschooling methods because of certain aspects of them. For example, living books. And maybe parents want their children to learn about art and music, all the beautiful things, add beauty to their lives. 
and so they decide maybe to follow the Charlotte Mason way of homeschooling. But why can't living books and art and music and all those sort of things be part of our unschooling lives? Of course, we have to accept that maybe our children won't be avid readers or they might not be interested particularly in art. But we can strew all those things. We can learn about them ourselves. We can offer to share them with our children. Anyway, who's to say that our children can't learn about beauty and truth and goodness and all those kinds of things in different ways while we are unschooling? Yes, those things aren't exclusive to a particular method of homeschooling. I said that unschooling isn't something we just do for the school years. We don't unschool and then graduate from unschooling. As I said, we spend our whole lives learning, but also our lives are a continual striving to become the people we are meant to be. I think that's an integral part of unschooling. I like the last part of that story. Sandra Dodd's quote about unschooled days being the best ever Saturdays. The day people dream about when they are stuck in school. Did you ever have that feeling when you were in school that there was something far better to do than sit at a desk and listen to a teacher? Did you have all sorts of plans going through your head? If only, if only I wasn't here, I could do this. When the school bell goes, I'm going to run home and I'm going to get involved with this, that and the other. And the best days of the week were the weekends when we were free to do whatever we wanted to do. And then that awful Monday morning feeling when we lost our freedom and we had to go back to school and do what somebody else said was important. And all the things that were important to us weren't valued by anybody else but us. But of course, we can give that gift to our children. We can listen to our children, find out what's important to them. Let them learn what they want to learn. Trust that they will learn everything they need when they need it. Trust that they will get where they want to go. I was pondering not so long ago the fact that some people don't think that we deserve to have every day as a Saturday. Why should we have such a happy life? Why should our children? Shouldn't we force them to go to school? And if not school, force them to do some kind of structured homeschooling where we're in charge. Make them learn what we think they should know and do it in our way. Yes, why should kids have a happy life? I mean, that sounds ridiculous when I say that. Of course, kids should have a happy life. But sometimes I wonder, do we all have to earn our happy lives? Do we all have to earn our weekends? Do we have to do things that we don't like doing before we get to the weekend? Is that good for us? Or will kids naturally learn to do difficult things and to deal with difficult circumstances just by unschooling? Yes, because even though we try to arrange a week full of Saturdays for our kids, it doesn't always turn out that way. Because life isn't always happy. Things happen that we can't control. So kids are going to experience difficult times whether we want them to experience them or not. I don't think we have to invite hardships into our lives. Our aim is 
to give our kids a good life, to listen to them, to help them, to safeguard their love of learning so that they will always be able to cope with whatever comes along in their future lives. So that's just a few thoughts on that blog post. Why unschooling isn't just another method of homeschooling. If you have tried all the homeschooling methods, like I did many years ago, if you move from one to the other and then back again, looking for the magic solution, maybe the solution is unschooling. Just stopping, listening to our kids, finding out what's important to them, helping them with their needs, enjoying life together, and not worrying about whether our kids are going to learn everything they need to know. They will learn. They are curious people. I would like to return to the topic of unlimited screen time. Yes, I was talking about this in episode 136 of this podcast, the complicated issue of unlimited screen time. What I was saying was that if we let our kids have unlimited screen time, will they naturally learn to regulate their usage? Perhaps it might take a little time, but will they get there in the end without us worrying about it? Is it a simple issue? Well, a lot of parents think it is a little bit more complicated than that. And I do as well because I experience problems with computer time. I have concluded that if an adult like me has trouble regulating her computer time, why shouldn't kids have trouble as well? And I'm not saying all kids, but some kids. And when parents say that their kids aren't coping with unlimited screen time, maybe instead of just telling them the way unschooling works and that if they trust it will all fall into place, perhaps we should listen and take their concerns a little bit more seriously, discuss the issue, encourage each other, support each other and share ideas. Because I think that if we're not comfortable with something, we shouldn't do it. If we feel that our children are unhappy because of the amount of time they're spending in front of the computer, for example, then that's not okay. We have to help our child in some way. So anyway, I've posted about this a few times on Instagram. And one post in particular I want to talk about today. I was actually talking about little kids. You know, kids of about the age of two or three. If they want to spend hours in front of a screen, is this okay? And I've wanted everybody to stop by and share their experiences and thoughts because I have never been in this situation with my family. Quite often people will say, when your kids were very small, Sue, did you limit screen time? What did you do with computers? And I have to say that when my older children were very small, we didn't even have a computer. Yes, my children are adults. They lived in a different world. And my younger children, yes, we did have computers. But I think that when they were very little, two or three, we probably shared one or two computers between the whole family. 
and screen time was naturally limited. My kids used to work out some kind of arrangement so that everybody got a turn on the computer, but it was very frustrating for them all because they'd get 20 minutes or half an hour. And what can you do in that time? Just as you get involved in a game or whatever you're doing, your next sibling taps you on the shoulder and says, your time's up, time to move on. My younger children just gave up. Sophie told me the other day that it really wasn't worth sitting in line to use the computer. She had better things to do. And anyway, my children on the whole weren't that interested in computers. They much preferred to go outside and play. And the younger ones used to tag along. They couldn't think of anything better to do than to play games with the older ones. Yes, my older children have wonderful imaginations and they used to think up such wonderful games and the little ones were enthralled by these games. They wanted to be a part of them and the older ones were good. They always found a place in the game for the little ones. And so yes, computers weren't an issue. Actually, computers have never been an issue with my children. I was talking to Sophie the other day She's 17 and she said she didn't really get interested in the computer until she got her own netbook and she wanted to use it for writing. And that's when she started spending longer and longer on the computer. And I guess my children have used computers for their interests, photography and writing, research, video making, blogging, similar sorts of things that I use computers for. The time they spend on the computer is time that they're doing things that are important to them, things that interest them. They hardly ever just browse and waste time. When they open their computers, they usually have a plan or a purpose. That plan may just be to be entertained, to go and watch a movie or a YouTube video or to play a computer game. But they're not hopping from site to site, just wasting time. I do a lot of that sometimes when I get lost or lonely or tired or I don't really know what I want to do. But my children don't do that. So I don't think it is inevitable that kids will become what people call addicted to the computer. But from listening to other parents, I do believe that some children do have trouble learning how to regulate their screen usage. And maybe our role is to help them do that. And to do it in a way that involves our children, not just by laying down the law, telling our children what they can and cannot do, but talking to our children, finding out what's important to them, helping them discover what works for them and what doesn't work. One friend mentioned that her children get headaches if they spend too long at the computer. and Those children recognized the cause of those headaches and the mother talked to the children And she suggested that maybe after two hours on the computer, she could remind them that they had been there for that amount of time. Maybe it was time for them to take a break. I imagine this can be done in a very gentle and respectful way. Yes, sometimes we do lose track of time. And before we know it, we do have a headache. Everybody agreed that screens are basically good. They are good tools even for very young children. They open up the possibilities. Children learn a lot from using screens. One mother suggested that it was wrong to look to the past 
We can't replicate those days when there were no computers, when our kids played outside more, when they made their own fun. Of course, kids can still do that, but we can't go backwards. This is the world our kids are growing up in. This world involves technology. Technology is basically good. Why shouldn't our kids be allowed to use it? Yes, past times can always seem better than our own time. And someday in the future, maybe the next generation of children will look back at the present day with our technology and maybe they'll yearn to come back to these days. The world is continually moving forward and we have to move forward with it. But saying that, is it alright for two or three year olds to sit in front of a screen for hour after hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month? This was my initial question, even though we started talking about other aspects of screen time. And I was just wondering if little kids need to touch and taste and see and hear the real world before they become engrossed in screens. Shouldn't they have a relationship with real people, hug and touch them, before they actually find out about relationships with online people, virtual people? Is there something within each of us that needs filling up during our baby, our toddler, our little people years? Do we need to experience nature and people and physical play, physical touch, all those kinds of things when we're very small? Do they give us a good start in life? What happens if we don't have any of that? And also, does everybody need to learn to communicate with real people, to experience eye contact, and how to read body language? We can't really do that via a screen. Now I know most little people do have plenty of contact with people, and they have plenty of opportunities to experience physical play and nature, they smell things and all that. But maybe it's something to think about if we are worried about our little ones. Should we open up the world a bit more for them? Do more things with them? Enrich their environment with other experiences? Of course, somebody said that we all go through phases. Maybe sometimes little children do need to sit in front of the TV for a while. Maybe it helps them cope with whatever's going on in their lives. Maybe it's nothing to worry about at all. Well, they're just a few of the thoughts that we all shared. I have probably muddled everything up. I've gone from one thing to another. But maybe you can go over to Instagram and read all those comments for yourself if you're interested. There were so many kind and generous people who stopped by to share their thoughts, their ideas and their experiences. I've just got one more thing that I want to talk about today, and this is a sad story that I heard recently. I also shared this on Instagram. Actually, I only shared it a few hours ago. That's why I'm thinking about it. This is how the story goes. There were two women eating lunch together in a cafe. They were obviously enjoying some time together, having a treat. They'd gone to lunch and they had ordered egg and bacon rolls. There was another woman in the cafe. She wasn't eating, but she had a cappuccino. She finished up her drink. And then, before heading to the door of the cafe and leaving, 
she approached the two women sitting at their table, eating their egg and bacon rolls. She said to them, you shouldn't eat that food because you're fat. And then she pointed out that she has no problems with her weight. She is slim, and that is because she watches what she eats. You wouldn't catch her eating an egg and bacon roll, for example. I guess she thought she was being helpful, but the words came out very unkindly. And I imagine the two women, after they got over their shock of somebody actually saying that to them, were very deeply hurt. There were other people in the cafe who heard those words. Their lunch was spoilt. They didn't finish their egg and bacon rolls. I wonder if they will return to that cafe. They wouldn't want to avoid the food, but what if they met that woman again? Now, I couldn't believe that an adult would be so unkind to another adult. How did that woman think that she had the right to say that to the two friends? It was none of her business what those women were eating. It was none of her business how fat or thin they were. Why did she think that she could interfere? Well, I just couldn't believe this story, that somebody would actually do that. This story went around and around in my mind for quite some time. And then I started thinking about something associated with this. And this is what I wanted to share. This is what I shared on Instagram this morning. I said that we may feel that it is unacceptable for an adult to criticize another adult, especially in a direct and unkind and public way. We might say, how could she have done that? And then I started thinking about children. What if we had said those words to a child? Does it make a difference whether it is an adult or a child that we're criticizing? I once talked to my daughter Sophie about trusting, respecting and loving children unconditionally. I interviewed her for an earlier podcast and one of the things she pointed out to me is that she has noticed that parents very, very often point out the faults of their children in public. They'll say to other parents, my child is too shy, oh she's very lazy, oh she's messy, she never cleans up her room. Or she was unkind to her sister. Or she was thoughtless. Or I don't know what I'm going to do with my child. She's so noisy. She runs all over the place. I can't control her at all. Or she's too shy. I don't know what I'm going to do. She's got to go out there one day and talk to people. And Sophie said that she has heard parents say such things to other parents while their children are standing by. The children are hearing all this. They're hearing their parents talk about them. And we wondered, how did these kids feel? Well, certainly I think they feel unaccepted as they are. Probably they feel that they are failing. Their parents aren't happy with certain aspects of their character, for example. I can understand why parents might talk to other parents, because we do get worried about our children. Yes, if we have a shy child, how are they going to get on when we're not around? Will they be able to cope out there in the bigger world? So maybe we feel we need to talk to somebody about our worries. But parents are also quick to tell their children when they're not happy, to point out their faults. 
you're this way or that way. What are you going to do when? When will you learn this? If only you learnt how to do this or that. You're going to have to learn how to deal with this. You're going to have to learn how to change that. You're too shy, too lazy, too noisy, too messy, whatever it is. And maybe parents justify talking to their children about their faults. Because if children don't realize that they have faults, how are they ever going to change? They have to know what they need to work on. But as Sophie said in the interview that I did with her, sometimes faults aren't faults at all. There's nothing wrong with being a quiet child. There's nothing wrong with being stubborn if that means that you're going to stick to what is right and not be swayed by the general public opinion. And even if a child does have a fault, well, that's not unusual. We all have faults. None of us is perfect. But we might be thinking, how do we help our children overcome what we think are their faults? How do we help them become better people? Well, I don't think it is by using criticism. Criticizing people isn't the best way to change them. So what is? I think that it is unconditional love. And this is what Sophie and I talked about. We have to look at our children as they are. They are amazing and unique individuals. Sometimes we miss that because we're only looking at the faults or what we think are faults. We start there and then we love our children unconditionally. We accept them. And with that love, they will keep growing and developing into the people that they are meant to be. And so will we because, as I said, none of us is perfect. That's what we're doing as well. I know all about unconditional love and change because I've experienced love. When I feel loved, regardless of what I've done, my failings, my faults, if people don't hold that against me but love me anyway, if they don't point out all my faults and make me suffer for them, don't hold them against me. I don't end up thinking that I can do whatever I want, that it doesn't matter what kind of person I am because I'll be loved regardless. No, the feeling I get is that I want to be worthy of that love. I want to be the best mother, the best wife, the best friend, the best person that I can be. Just because of the love that people have shown me. Yes, love is much more powerful than criticizing. And so that's what I wanted to share on Instagram this morning because I was thinking about that sad story about the woman who couldn't help herself but criticized the two friends who were only out enjoying themselves having lunch together in a cafe. So I think that's all I have to share with you today. This podcast is a bit late. We had a really busy week and then yesterday a couple of my children were sick and I just didn't get a chance to get my mic out and sit down and record an episode. Maybe everybody thinks there won't be one this week, but I'm going to surprise everybody. It is Saturday morning here. Normally my podcast would have been published on a Friday, but maybe this afternoon I can do the editing and get this podcast uploaded before this evening. 
is there anything else that I wanted to tell you? Well, you can find me on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I will put the show notes there, some links to a few of the things that I've spoken about today, the blog post story, maybe the podcast interview that I did with Sophie. It is worth listening to. Sometimes we go searching for information on the best way to parent and bring up our children to give them a good education, but we forget something. We forget to talk to our children, to listen to what they have to say. Children are wiser than we imagine. They also know themselves a lot better than we know them. Yes, we just need to listen, to love, to accept, to respect, and to trust. That almost sounds like my tagline, the one I say as I'm saying goodbye and finishing an episode. So maybe that's what I ought to do. I ought to thank you for listening to this episode, invite you to go over to my blog and also Instagram if you would like to connect with me there. And I shall wish you a very happy unschooling week and I shall be back next week with another episode. But until then, don't forget to trust, respect and love unconditionally. <laughs>